0: So, what do you think of yourself and how do you view yourself? Are you pretty good? You think you've got things pretty much figured out? We'll take a look at the danger of pride next on Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, welcome to our broadcast today. We're in the book of Romans, looking at ourselves, putting the godly mirror up in front of us, seeing just who we really are in light of the gospel and in light of God's mercy and grace. It's a really good circumspect view of who we are, helping us to understand who God is all the more, resting in His sufficiency. That's the encouragement we come away with. On today's broadcast, please join us. We begin with a couple of good illustrations about the danger of pride. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast.
1: I'll tell you two moving stories about pride that ought to scare the daylights out of us. You ought to be scared. I I think two of the most moving illustrations is the story of Nebuchadnezzar, and the story, the one that really breaks my heart, is the story of Uzziah. Here when you see Nebuchadnezzar, of course, this is great Babylon that I built. And God says, I have a cure for your inflated ego. What is that? I'm going to make you live like an animal for seven years, until you come to your senses and know that the God of the heavens rules over everything, and you are nothing in my sight. Your haughtiness makes me sick. And for seven years, they had to incarcerate the king of the greatest Gentile empire. His fingernails grew out like that of an eagle. His hair grew out like an animal, and he ate grass. And so that if you wanted to see the king of Babylon, they could take you to a yard. And watch Nebuchadnezzar eating grass with his face to the ground, eating as though he were a cow. You talk about, and after seven years, God restored his sanity. Then he knew God had built the kingdoms of the world. Then he knew that his haughtiness offended God. Turn and look with me, if you will, to Uriah. You just must see it for yourself. Second Chronicles chapter 26. And I I won't read the whole narrative. I'll just lift out things about it. If you remember this, Uriah, or Uzziah, rather, uh, reigned for 52 years. This is the Uzziah that died when Isaiah went in and saw the Lord high lifted up. Uzziah had died. This man had an incredible reign, 52 years. But notice this. He became king when he was 16 years old in verse 3. And it says, this haunted me as I read it. In verse 5, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Don't ever forget that. Success breeds lethargy. You'll quit doing what made you successful. We used to pray a lot. But since we've gotten so good, we don't do it like we And he said, as long as he sought God, he had success. And he begins to enumerate his fame. And you take that from verses 8, and it goes on down through uh, verse 15. And notice at verse 15, his fame spread far and wide. For he was greatly helped until he became powerful. What happened when he became powerful? But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. He entered into the temple, took the place of a priest unauthorized... And God made leprosy break out on him and he died in a house isolated from the camp as a leper all the days of his life after 52 years of a fabulous, successful, powerful reign and pride ruined him in his last days. Scary stuff. Are you successful? Do you want to be successful? Are you powerful? Do you seek God? Are you too good to seek God? Are you too good? You got it made. You used to really have to seek him when you were learning how, when you were in process. But once I got it, Once I got prosperity, he said in Deuteronomy 8, I warn you, Israel, the moment you become prosperous, you will leave me and you will become proud and I will have to judge you. So do you want to be poor? No, we all want to prosper. Do you want to fail? No, we want to succeed. Do we want to always be in weakness? No, we want to be powerful. But what is lurking in the midst of it? Pride. Inflated estimation of ourselves. And so here we have Paul telling the saints, by the way, this mercy from God ought to produce a kind of thinking in us that we don't overestimate ourselves. Remember, we've received mercy, not because we were righteous or good, but because God was kind. Now, don't overestimate yourself. And it's a difficult, difficult thing to pull off. And I think a good way to measure pride in us is how much craving of praise do you have? Do you crave praise very much? Uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're always praising each other. Your praise is from one another, uh, but I seek the praise that comes from God. Did you know there's going to be a lot of servants of God? I think especially of children's workers. Uh Children's workers never get praised by the student. You work over here in our children's program. that Some of you don't even know what goes on over there. But let's work with kindergartners, let's say. Let's work with them up to fifth grade, the children's department. And I think of junior high and senior. High. Man, you're doing a great job, Dave. Stay in there. You're preaching the word. God, is you've you got to be kidding. A little seven-year-old boy... Teacher, thank you for praying for me this week. Thank you for preparing. No, 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 no. Well, what's going to motivate them? What brings you back if it's not a little bit of appreciation? Maybe they're doing it in light of the judgment seat of Christ where he will reward everything that we've never seen and rewards will be handed out finally at that day. Not that we should be showing appreciation in the meantime, but what keeps these people motivated? What keeps people motivated that we I think of so many missionaries that are in isolated places that no one hardly even checks up on them. They don't know what's going on. They don't know the loneliness, the homesick, the challenges, the sicknesses, the difficulties, on and on and on. What keeps you going? Is it the praise of men? No, no. Men don't even know what I'm doing hardly. It has to be the praise of God. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis said about pride. Let me read it to you. The pleasure of pride is like the pleasure of scratching. If there is an itch, one does want to scratch. But it is much nicer to have neither the itch nor the scratch. As long as we have the the itch of self-regard... We shall want the pleasure of self-approval. But the happiest moments are those when we forget our precious selves and have neither the itch nor the scratch. We just are contented to see God praised, elevated. And as long as he gets the glory, we don't even crave, don't even have the itch in us to hear self-approval. It's very addictive. Listen. When you know you've got pride. By pride comes nothing but strife. But he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Isn't that something? Proverbs 13. When you're dealing with proud people, you get ready for a fight. They won't get enough strokes, enough credit, enough recognition, enough, enough. You're just going to be in contention. It'd be an issue of who's boss, who's in charge. Because the proud are contentious to the hilt. That's what splits a lot more churches and immorality is a bunch of pride and people who don't get on their knees but we just start fighting with each other. It's easier to fight than pray. Promote ourselves than to promote God. And so many a church is in a ringside fight. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. My, well, He says something that we ought to judge ourselves sensibly or soberly. And that word sober there means to not be drunk. Now, what does this have to do with it? Well, it came to be used of having control of your senses. And it meant to be uh, uh, clear-headed, to be steady, to be having understanding. So he said, think soberly of yourself and think soberly of others. You can never think of others properly if you have an improper view of yourself. You you just want to forget yourself. We're we're about others. I love what William Booth did one time. He couldn't make a uh, missions convention. He was supposed to be a speaker there. And so he telegraphed them and his message was one word, others, others. That's all he had to say, others. Others. Didn't even mention William Booth and the Salvation Army. Just others. Would to God we can get to that point that we only think of others. Others. Their need of Christ. Their need of service. Their needs. Instead of always drowning in self-absorption about ourselves. It is a divine work that God wants to do in the renewing of our mind. He wants to get us to forget about ourselves and be totally preoccupied with Christ and how Christ wants to reach others through us. Then he says, uh, not only to be thinking uh, uh, sensibly about ourselves, uh, which has nothing to do with IQ. It just has something to do with the right kind of sensible thinking. He says, I want you to also measure your thinking by the measure of faith given to everyone. And this is a, a rather unique uh, thing. I, after all these years of studying Romans, I've always had the view that when he came to the measure of faith, he was talking about it in a quantitative sense, that God measured out to Dave Uh, Let's take a spoon. Uh, Let's say he he maybe gave him a a spoonful of faith. He gave this guy a shovel full of faith. And, you know, in, in measuring cups. I just took it in that quantitative sense. And I think it's maybe has been the most common view that each one has a certain measure of faith in keeping with the gift they're going to use. So I was always at home with that. And the reason I always study all over again. Because I want to keep learning. And I ran into two men. One's named Cranfield uh, out of England. And another one is Douglas Moo out of Trinity. Great, great commentaries. The other view that has emerged in recent days is that we take measure of faith not to be a quantitative measure given. But that it becomes the standard of our faith let your faith be the measurement of how you're thinking let the faith and this is the argument that he's talking about what all believers have in common the faith he's not talking about distinctions among them you got a little bit more than me i got a little bit less that would certainly seem to breed pride among them i've got more faith No, he seems to be talking about what they all have in common. They all have the faith by which they've been saved. And in that faith, there's two elements. The subjective part, I believed in Jesus Christ. And what saves you, faith or Christ? It's not faith. Faith saves no one. Faith receives the Savior. It is the hand, the empty hand, that receives Christ. Sometimes we get a like, by faith save me. No, 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 your faith in the right person. But Christ is the Savior, right? He is the Savior. So I put faith in the right person. I received him. And so the emphasis would be, in your measuring your thinking, why don't you measure who is the object of your faith and measure him. What, what would Christ think of himself if he was in your shoes? Well, we know what he thought. I came not to be served, but to serve. I came to be humble. I I stooped down. I'm not here trying to promote myself. I am the King of Israel. I am God. I I don't have to deny that. I have to tell demons to hush up because they know who I am. But I tell you, believers, when you measure the way you're thinking, you should always ask maybe an age-old question, would Christ do this? Is this the way Christ thinks? Do I have the thinking of Christ going on in my mind? Christ is meek. Christ is lowly. Christ showed me how to suffer in First Peter. Though reviled, he reviled not again. Uh, Though threatened, he did not return threats. He kept trusting God. He kept submitting to God. He kept serving God. He's crucified as an imposter and a blasphemer. It, it does not matter. He says, I've come to do the will of God. My whole life is consumed with doing the Father's will not to win the approval of men. Think of sending your best to the earth and having it sent back to you with five wounds in it. Surely God failed. Surely God doesn't know what He's doing. No, God said, I can't save you with an army. I got to save you with a crucified son. This is the way of the cross, this is the way of true authentic service. Not a bunch of pompous men on a platform called preachers, popes, bishops. Not a bunch of pompous people who have forgotten their product of mercy, not of their self righteous efforts. That we are a forgiven people, that we are people of mercy. Who are we strutting about? insanity has taken us over. Why don't we pray? Because we're insane with power and with so-called success. We measure ourselves by the sizes of our budgets, the size of our buildings, and the size of whatever. And he says, no, no, no. I'm inclined to the humble man, the humble woman, to he, him who inhabits eternity. I'm scanning the earth, and where I find humility working in a heart, where I see contrition, thus saith the high and lofty one, I'll look to this man, and to the man who trembles at my word. God would do more for us if we would stoop, if we would just admit our bankruptcy, and just say, help me, Lord. I want to measure myself today. Are you thinking of yourself like a servant that you have in Christ? I must say something that uh, Chesterton said. This is an amazing thing. Hear me. Chesterton, a great Catholic uh, journalist out of England, he wrote a book called Orthodoxy, and he said something about uh, humility. He said, what we suffer from is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition. Modesty has settled upon the organ of conviction. Where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself. But undoubting about the truth. Do you understand what he's saying? His statement as he develops it says this. We today have said, we've put humility in the place of conviction. It says, where humility ought to be is here about myself. Friends, I want to speak to you today. I'm not the greatest. You don't have to say all this, but you got to know this yourself. I'm not the greatest. I'm not the smartest. I'm not this or that. But I have divine revelation, and I don't have to be humble at the truth. The truth is right and it's not humble or proud. It's just true. But today, we've tried to move... Oh, well, if you act like you're certain, you're proud. You mean you've got a conviction? You act like you know. I do know. Why do you know? God has spoken. Well, that's not a humility. I don't have to be humble about what God's spoken. He said it. Whether it's humble, proud, or indifferent, he spoke. There's where truth is. The humility is that a bozo like me get to ever understand it, and I get to share it. There's where the humility's got to be. It's about yourself, not about the truth. The truth is the truth. And God is accurate. He has spoken, and he has not stuttered. So we don't have to apologize for the truth. Say, well, you know, I sense no humility in the debate. You act like you guys couldn't be wrong. Uh, We say there is no God. You say there is. Uh, We say this about morals. You say this. Uh, Would you present it humbly? In my humble opinion, God says what you're doing is sin because he spoke. Well, that sounds a little arrogant. Well, let's see if I could say it softer. What you're doing is sin. (laughs) I still sense an edge. What you're doing is sin. Boy, what a haughty spirit. What what do I have to do? I'm telling you what he said. It's not about me. It's about him. That's what makes preachers bold. You don't realize how much knee knocking and trembling happens when you dare be a preacher. We were traveling somewhere recently. We went to an area where I would preached when I was 15. And my wife said, good night. You would preach at 15 words. Yeah. said, so, did you know how? No. What did you say? Very little. What did you have? A testimony of saved? I'd study, but nobody showed me how to outline. I had not had basic speech, intro, body, conclusion, few illustrations. No. Well, what were you speaking for? Well, because God put on my heart, if you open doors, I'll speak, I'll share. Well, were you any good? Absolutely not. They were insane to have me, except I had a testimony. Well, uh, you, what a cocky young man. No, a trembling young man. I used to tell God every time I went home, God, I'm sorry I'm embarrassing you, but they keep asking me to come speak at these youth groups, and they're so desperate, I go. I mean, when they're desperate, they'll take anything. I mean, that's the truth. Uh, I never ruined any of the churches. They were small. They were small, and they they would close off everybody so no one in the neighborhood knew I was there. You know, we had 50 people. But you know what it was? What I got started out with, you don't know it. You think preaching's easy. You just get up here and talk. No, I live with a tremble for all these years because I can't save you. I can't make this thing non-boring. I can't convict. I cannot meet your need goodness after the band has stopped i want to ask you this ask god to help you to think right about yourself now let me say this don't grovel don't say see if you came up to me says uh do you know how to play the guitar well i want to be humble no i don't but well, that'd be a lie now here's the question i don't want you to ask are you very good who asked you i said i play." I'm not Eric Clapton. I can't make a living at it. I just can play the guitar. That is not pride. That's just a fact. Are you educated? I know you doubt it. Yes. Uh, But I don't have to deny I went to school, do I? That doesn't make me humble or proud. It's just a fact. And guys, when I meet them, they'll always ask me, how many do you run? Well, we run about 10,000. We catch about 1,000. Whoa, you must be in another league. Terrible. It'd be better to say, how much do you rely on God? How much time do you spend on your knees? That would be far more searching than what size is your congregation. Because God can bless men that are totally weak. Matter of fact, he does. That's why you and I are here. So don't be puffed up. It will only set us on the bench. And it will only make God go around us to use somebody else until our pride stops. My dad used to always tell me this story, just simple. When they were ordaining a young man in a black church that my dad attended. When the bishop prayed over him, he said, Oh Lord, shrunk up his head. It was in good English. But the idea is what will ruin him. You won't stay pure. You'll make a lot of mistakes. I've never seen a humble preacher, a humble Christian, a dependent Christian fall. It's those who don't take heed lest they fall. They don't think they
0: can, and they do. The humble God preserves. Truth for Today, that we might live in truth tomorrow. Thank you for joining us. Our teacher and pastor has been Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. And on today's broadcast of Truth for Today, we've spent time here in God's Word that we might grow in His grace. If you'd like to review today's message, copies are available on CD for just $5. Mention today's date when you call 510-799-3171. 510-799-3171. You're welcome to visit our website. We have resource materials there at our online store, as well as information about us, who we are, what we believe, worship opportunities, and events here at the church. Valleybible.org is the website. Again, valleybible.org. And would you drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit. That would mean a great deal to us. Also, it encourages us when you call or write to us. And let us know how the program encourages you in your walk and relationship with Christ. Please, don't take for granted for a moment the significance of correspondence with us. It really does matter, and it really does make a difference when you contact us and let us know how the program encourages you. Questions, comments, prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. Our desire is for you to grow in Christ, that we might be mutually encouraged in His grace. So again, the phone number is 510-799-3171. That's 510-799-3171. And the web address is valleybible.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're just off Highway 4, the church with the three crosses on the hill, about a quarter of a mile from the Highway 4 I-80 junction. You can't miss us. Directions can be had when you call us. Again, 510 510- or by visiting our website, valleybible.org. We thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless.